This is Loika Darkroom. This is where we share stories and celebrate the success of photographers in the Web3 space. I'm your host, Pam Voth. Let's go into the darkroom and see what develops. Hi, everyone. This is Pam Voth. I'm your host of the Sloika Darkroom. Today, we're here with TK, who's a collector of photography NFTs, as well as lots of other art. We're going to hear all about that. Our co-host today is Sabot Shetty. We've missed him for the last few times. We're happy he's here. And we also have Ev on stage, who um, is, of course, the co-founder of Sloika and the CEO. And we're going to have just a great conversation today. Keep it a little bit shorter than usual and um, really dig into uh, what it means to be a collector of NFTs. Um, first of all, I want to just say hi and welcome to TK. Thank you so much. It sounds like you got up really early to join us today. I got up like an hour uh, earlier than I normally do, so it's it's not too bad. I can't really complain. <laughs> but um, we, had a, we had a dinner last night, but um, no, we, yeah, good to go. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, and so where, what part of the world are you calling from? Uh, from Sunshine Coast, so like an hour and a half north of Brisbane in, in Queensland. And yeah, it's beautiful. The sun's shining. It's warm. It's lovely. Nice, nice. That's great. Uh, so, Bode, where are you calling in from? I know you're like world traveler. Are, you're back from the Mara this time, right? Are you back home in, in Dubai? Hi, Pam. Yeah, I'm absolutely back uh, in Dubai. Uh, just relaxing here, looking forward to the New Year shoot and all that happens in Dubai. But also good to have TK. And he said two very interesting things. One, he had dinner last night, which is good to know. It, it wasn't lunch. And secondly, he's from Sunshine Coast and he says it's sunshine outside. So it has to be sunshine because the name itself says so. I didn't know there was really a place called Sunshine Coast. I really love that to know that. I think that's probably the best place in the world. It is. It's really lovely. We've had a few photographers come through here because um, there's amazing uh, landscape photography in like um, Glasshouse Mountains are really some unique landscapes around behind the, the coast area. And also like um, Noosa as a national park, which um, on a perfect morning when the sun's just coming up, uh, there's often dolphins inside the bay and it's kind of like a very secluded bay. It's, it's, it's uh, on one side, it gets very windy. And then um, on the, on the other side of the headland, it's always kind of sheltered. So there's this amazing uh, weather phenomena that happens Almost on it, like it's when it, when there's a southeasterly, especially um, that is amazing for kind of morning photography. So, yeah, beautiful spot. Sounds like it. Um, go ahead, Sabot. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, also welcome Chip, and at the same time, to complete the team, we need Michael to because you know, moment Pam said this space is going to happen with TK. I'm like, yes, I'm there, you know, because he's one of my most favorite people out here in NFTs. But it's a team, you know, it's a it's a what is that Victor Herbert team so Michael you have to come up I invited Michael as soon as you mentioned him and as soon as he said he was a DJ and then when he said you played music I was like well we have to get Chip around here so I'm glad Chip that we've got you here as a speaker hey welcome thank you how are you I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm, I'm glad you could wake up early and join us as well yeah I, I, I have woke, woke up early I can't miss I just, uh, I mean, th I'm so intrigued to see how you, uh, you I think you're really good at this, um, but you're going to be really, really pushed to, you know, keep this guy on track. And I'm, I'm, I'm just here really as uh, this is just, I, I, it's interesting to see what happens. You know, he's, um, 
he's a wild guy. So good luck. But I'm, you know, I'm here for to support you really more than TK. Morning, Chip. We don't normally chat <laughs> this right. early, right? It's it's we're normally like it's, it's at least twelve o'clock afterwards Australian time. So this is this is anything can anything goes this time of morning. No, it's such a treat though to see to see you at breakfast time, TK. Is it's really exciting. Like, I, 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 yeah, I don't know what sort of person you are at this time in the morning. I don't really know you sober, but are you sober? Uh, somewhat. I mean, I'm on, I'm having a coffee. <laughs> I, I had an envisions of us um, going clubbing last night. I think I think it was in my dream. You and I were clubbing. So there we go. It might be a premonition. Maybe we're going clubbing later on next year. <laughs> Right, sounds good. That sounds fun. Hey, we did get Michael up here after all. Hey, Michael, welcome. How you doing, everybody? Um, typically, I'm just eating. And also, I don't want to swerve this space because that's what TK always does. You will, you'll be having a, a really, how would you say it, a space that is in a certain area. And it's like, oh, there's TK, bring bring TK up. And that's it. Whatever that space was, that, that space went. And I don't want to do that. I want to hear from TK. So, yeah, I'm going to get back to me air fried burgers and I'll pop back up later. Okay. Well, enjoy those burgers and thanks for the heads up. How long till we talk <laughs> I think about I've heard dodos? you guys all in spaces. <laughs> How long till we end up on dodos? I don't know. Given enough time, we'll end up on dodos and ducks. It's it's guaranteed. It's baked in with an air fryer. But do you have the, what is that? Dick, butt dick or dick butt? I don't have it. I want one so bad. I want to do, I want one so bad. I should have got one when they were, when they were cheap. I was looking, I was looking at them and going, Oh, they're a bit weird. And they've just got this, like this cult following now. And you know what got it for me? It was that, it was at uh, NFT New York, and there was that like, um, what was that movie called? That Eyes Wide Shut, um, that like ceremony they had at NFT New York. It made me laugh so much. I was like, I have to get a dick butt now. So, you know, have a look at that if you haven't seen it. It's very funny. Well, if you had any tweets to share, we'd love to see uh, what you're what you're referring to. I I do know the movie. I just wasn't in New York to see <laughs> the ceremony that happened around the PFP. There was no nudity, Pam. It was it was all very above board, but <laughs> but it was really really clever. Um, and it seems like there's like a community that's happening there with with those guys, and a lot of big photographers have jumped on. And yeah, that's they're the kind of projects I love. Where it's just like community building, and and they you know they keep showing up at events and and stuff like that. So um, I'm getting one. So oh, it's a matter of time. I'm waiting for my entry. Pardon the pun. Well, so that kind of can bring us, I guess, into like what you are looking to collect in the future. Um, do, do you, for, well, so I know TK, I've heard you on Spaces. Um, like I said, I, I, I love listening into the music spaces that I hear Chip uh, hosting. And I know with Michael being a DJ, he's got, you guys all have really great taste in music. Um, so what, how did, how did you find each other here in this, in this NFT space? Did you know each other from before or is this like a Twitter spaces phenomenon meetup? No, we didn't know each other at all. And the music spaces kind of happened. Oh, they happened really kind of organically. Like, like I used to like do um, spaces where um, I could like, randomly play music and I'd put little bits of music and movie scenes and stuff together when I was like bored and at home on the on the computer. I'd like splice like little bits from YouTube, like Never Ending Story, and then play some like M83 after it. And I had like I just was in a like I was I was doing weird spaces where I was like I'd set the phone down if I was eating like faux noodles at the mall and just let people listen to like sounds of the mall and stuff like that. And then I I discovered like um, 
Chip and Eva talking about uh, on the Friday night, um, uh, the Friday night coaching space really early on. And that kind of turned into a music space because we because chip started kind of playing uh the friday night spaces like it was like he was like a radio one dj like a bbc one dj uh and it was it was so funny and it just kind of we started talking about music in the dms and it and it just like evolved after that and then i, fu- I found out michael was was a dj as well like um um uh, a few years ago when we both liked the same style of music like that sort of early uh the like 90s acid portishead style and um then edm and everything as well and and it just evolved from there and, and yeah we still have fun playing those uh, playing those spaces and hope hopefully that's going to be something we can play in stereo and really kind of get in and 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 be able to enjoy it instead of this kind of mono grainy experience we can um you know, we can we can really start to enjoy each other's music a little bit more. So fingers crossed. I'm going to talk to Elon. I'm going to make something happen. Yeah, let us know what you let us know what you find out. Yeah, the the what you're saying about um, you know linking together sounds from the mall, for example, or just like knowing how one song goes to the next, and and sort of doing a almost like sound performance. It reminds me of what I used to listen to as a kid. There was this a sound artist called Now Nordine. I don't know if anyone knows him, but uh, it might be pretty old stuff. But the um, I always loved listening to that as a kid. And um, on WBEZ, which is the Chicago NPR station, they would just late, late, late at night, they'd play Now Nordine. And you'd just get into this artist's mind, basically. And he would just take you through, like, I don't know, really, I don't know, what you might today call psychedelic kind of mixing of things. But back then, it was just like sound collages. And you kind of can, like, your imagination just goes wild and figuring out, you know, who is this that's showing this to me? And also, what is this that we're listening to? It's pretty cool. I don't know if you are you familiar with now with Nordine now Ken Nordine. No, but I just wrote it down, so I will be soon. <laughs> it'll it'll be on <laughs> yeah. once once uh, once we're done with the podcast. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have a look. It sounds really interesting. Uh, we we play a lot of ambient yeah. and and kind of experimental music as well, like especially like like Chip and Michael, like you know old Aphex Twin and stuff like that, which is all has a lot of those elements. So um, yeah, always open to new names. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And well, I I was I was a sound recordist for a while when I was first starting in the wildlife film business because the sound recording equipment weighed a lot less than the big cameras <laughs> back in the day. So um, yeah, I I love I love listening to these kind of artful artfully put together soundtracks. They don't always have to be nature either. But anyway, um, so so you found each other here in NFT Twitter land of some sort. Um, what were you already collecting NFTs at that point, or like how how uh, how involved were you in, in the whole crypto space at that time? Um, yeah, I mean we whoosh, just dropped something. We started collecting in 2017 um, with. Uh, punks and kitties and I, I was really I, I got really into that like um like pixelated um like I, I was grew up with like 80s video games like Atari and like early Nintendo and stuff like that and I'm still like really in love with that style um uh, so we we um, we were into Ethereum. We heard about NFTs, and th- like when those early projects came on, there wasn't there wasn't even a name 
uh, of NFTs. They weren't even known as NFTs. They were called <clears throat> decentralized apps. Um, so, you know, there was visions of having an app store, but everything was decentralized and peer-to-peer and, and what have you. and hasn't really gone in that direction now. But these early projects like, like CryptoPunks were like if you go back and you read um, the Reddit and like the early message boards um, at that time, there was, there was no talk about NFTs. It was, it was too early. It was, just some, it was just kind of like, oh, wow, we can really put data on Ethereum. We can really program this this network and and that's kind of what crypto punts was it was really experimental and it wasn't fully decentralized at the time it was kind of like a spreadsheet but it was still generative and and that was that's what gave rise to to nfts like those two guys um with that project of ten thousand. like how many times has that been emulated and, and copied since like um as as a collection like over and over and over again and that generative style where you know there's there's um, like one has a crown or one has a moustache or uh, male, female, you know, what have you. Like that was, that was, we didn't sort of know at the time. We were just like, um, you know, Crypto Kitties was really interesting because it's like millions of different types of cats being bred. And it was like, and it literally, there was, there was so, so much interest in Crypto Kitties at the time um, that it was slowing down the whole Ethereum network and the gas prices went up for the first time and we're paying like, um, you know, ten or twenty dollars in gas, which at the time was like, what's going on? Like Ethereum wasn't um, where it is now. So uh, it was, it was a really, uh, it was a really interesting time to be involved in. But we had no idea about like the word of NFTs was being thrown around by like the likes of like um, Andreas Antonopoulos, who was always a forward thinker in you know with his early um, podcasts and recordings and speeches and whatever and and. I watched all those back then and, and he was talking about this thing called NFTs. I didn't really understand, but we were already playing around with these decentralized apps and, and it just grew from there. And, and um, it wasn't until sort of like um, end of, <clears throat> oh God, God, this is all gone very fast. Like halfway through last year that I started looking, I, I was still buying the, like the other projects, but then photography started to come into um uh, in, into my Twitter feed, I guess, and, and onto OpenSea for the first time. And um, and that's when the sort of penny dropped. I was like, oh, oh my God, this is... Um, I always... I think there's a lot of value in being first to do something, um, to kind of put a stake down in the ground and say, I was here at this time. Um, and it's it's really a... Um, something to be very proud of i think like being being part of something at that time that you can look back on in like 20 years or or what have you and say i was there like i was um part of that network um and always loved photography as well so i just went all in on on photography and and also like um digital and and 3d as well but um definitely mostly photography well, we're all happy to hear that <laughs> over here in the uh, photo photo only NFT platform. Um, yeah, I, it, it it must have. I mean, I, I think it's so cool that you were you were around during the punks and kitties, you know, early early days. And yeah, there's there's some clout to that, I think. And being being in that that sort of like first echelon that does have that does have some cachet doesn't it yeah i mean no one was was really thinking about these things at the time like it was just like um 
you know, we, I remember seeing on, on Crypto Panic, there was this, uh, the, these projects starting to come out and I was just instantly uh, so intrigued. I was like, what, like, is this is, it just made everything feel a little bit more real. I was like, okay, there was this thing and, and we, we went in on Ethereum and, and it was just an idea. We, we went in on Ethereum and we, we went in on, on Vitalik because we kind of believed in his vision. He seemed like a guy that, um, he, he was, he was in it for the right reasons. He, he, you know, he wasn't going to sort of, um, uh, take his project and, and launch it and, and run away. Like he was genuinely interested in seeing where this thing goes. Um, and when we started to see projects like Akasha, I mean, Akasha never happened, but it was, that was going to be the, um, the decentralized social network. And, and there was other projects like Gnosis, which which is uh, like um, decentralized. Oh, it's like gamified, decentralized. Um, how would you like decision making um, and and problem solving, um, and that, that could be used for like decentralized voting systems and, and things like this. All these things came on really, really early, and they came on with a big thrust um and all, all these ideas were being thrown around that were way 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 ahead of their time and ahead of the tech but they still kind of happen anyway and things like oh i mean there's there's so many that have happened now like things like render that are being actually being used now and and um and i mean there's so many um so it, it was like it was an exciting time for ideas and many of the ideas like came on really strong and fizzled out um, and I guess they're still being worked on, like in earnest, a, a little bit more. And um, and and uh, um, with 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 a with the with a little bit more like technical know-how and the and speed behind it. I think Ethereum was too slow at the time; it was way too early. But NFTs just kind of stuck around. So there was, yeah, it was interesting to see. Um, with those early, early days, I was going to see, um, Ev, if you would like to chime in about your your experience with the early, early days with, I don't know, Vitalik is not quite a neighbor, but in the <laughs> same city, right? Well, he, he used to be a neighbor, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess my story was, was knowing Vitalik started that I used to live uh, in downtown, or still live in downtown Toronto. Uh, but basically, uh, between 500 Pixels Office, the previous company that I started, and my home, I would pass by uh, Bitcoin Decentral, which is a place where actually Ethereum was born, where Vitalik and his uh, gang of developers and you know were were building Ethereum and kind of like launched it. Um, and I was like, you know what? It seems like an interesting place to drop by. Maybe I should drop by. And I was having this thought every morning because it's just like on the way to work and on the way back home. And I'm like passing back and forth, back and forth. And I never stopped by. <laughs> That's why uh, I still need a job. <laughs> so kind of kind of makes sense, you know, if uh, otherwise it would be very, very interesting. Uh, but then I uh, happened to get into this deep hole of NFTs uh, with CryptoKitties. Um, I never minted, well, I actually minted my first CryptoKitty in 2021, um, but I saw them in 2017. They were uh, older age, and I started exploring uh, the possibility of photography NFT marketplace in 2017. Uh, and uh, I think it was the same year or early 2018, I met Vitalik. Uh, of all places in Taipei, in Taiwan. Um, 
because uh, he was doing all these tours uh, where he would it was kind of funny i think it was late 2017 actually and he uh his tours were uh, about the proof of stake he's like proof of stake is close we're gonna get proof of stake in just a couple of months uh, you guys just wait. We're gonna, you know, uh, be off from the uh, proof of work and onto proof of stake. Uh, and that was 2017. And obviously, we all we all know that it happened just a few. What is it like in August of this year instead of uh, 2017 or early 2018? Uh, and obviously, he was talking about this from. I think uh, the idea was is that once Ethereum would go live, proof of work was supposed to last just a few weeks, <laughs> and then proof of stake was supposed to take over so it was supposed to be like oh yeah we just do a little switch and bam done uh and obviously it took a much longer time than anticipated so kind of like developers uh and their timelines are a bit uh fluid <laughs> i would say um but yeah that was an interesting time uh obviously a lot of crazy icos uh, of 2017 where it is not much different from what we're we've been seeing you know like this summer and uh like mid 2021 the uh the craze to like a gold rush you know where it's just like oh whatever you mint just go and mint it and somebody will buy it um in in a sense it's pretty nice that that phase is over because obviously that's a, a, a lot of noise and not a lot of signal um and now uh, you know like my dms are not full of people just chilling nfts i'll tell you that before they were like every day where they get hundreds of messages uh and now it's down to like a few a day maybe uh of people who have very slow internet connections so they haven't caught up on on the uh, market updates i guess um and yeah i think it's a it's a much better signal ratio to uh, to noise and so it is a lot more uh you know you have to be as a collector i guess you have to be a lot more attentive to the art uh i uh you know tend to support different artists sometimes it's uh, random but most of the time it's like i want to know that i'm i'm not just uh you know, basically throwing money um, uh, at the wind or whatever you can call it. Uh, it's more that I need to see cohesiveness in, in uh, people's portfolios. I need to see their hard work. I don't expect people to like GM every single day anymore. Or, or, you know, I think it's uh, it's kind of like pointless to spend 20 hours a day just sending GM to every single person who ever collected NFT. So I'm glad that this is kind of over, even though I think I did send GM this morning. <laughs> so it's still, you know, just a bit of a nice tradition, but not no expectation of like really uh, populating every timeline with every GM imaginable. So it's it's nice that we can move away from that and actually start to uh build something of value and you know kind of like internally as our team we are constantly assessing kind of like what is something what does this mean to to uh show value to to have value uh like what's the purpose of a marketplace and what's the purpose of a currently curated marketplace like ours uh in the whole ecosystem and kind of like what are the what are others doing and what are others not doing i, I think it's overall very 
important. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, it's interesting how all the specific fads, you sort of could see that it's a fad. Uh, and uh, they went through uh, hyper growth. And like, as something goes through hyper growth, you're like, yep, uh, let's just wait a couple of weeks, uh, or maybe a couple of months if, if it's, uh, if it's resilient, and then we can uh, move on to the next fad. And so that is also kind of like applicable to to our team where we had to uh, basically look at every new hot thing that you know Subot or others would send us and be like hey are you guys doing this and we're like okay let us actually take a look if if that something's going to be uh, around um and kind of like one one fun example we had somebody uh, uh talking about sloik and something uh, in the channel that pumps different coins uh and that was a very popular channel like probably half a million people on that channel uh that pumps different coins back in the hype days and so for a couple of i guess for about a week our telegram and support were was flooded with messages like hey when are you gonna do your coin release like when is the coin and we're like if you guys just want a coin then you better leave right now <laughs> so we want to make sure that there is value first maybe Maybe it's two years from now, maybe it's five years from now, but it's not going to be like we release the coin and then we have no idea what to do with this coin and then people pump and dump um, and and the project is dead because of that, because of like reckless investing in reckless uh, speculation. And so we, we were actively telling people like, okay, you guys are in the wrong place. You're, you guys are like, should leave now because nothing that you want to pump and dump will be happening uh, here, uh, you know, hopefully never, but it, not at least like in a, in a very, very long while. And so, um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of like the process, you know, of going through those fads. And it's so, yeah, it's actually refreshing, you know, to have chats where you don't have to like, OMG, I have to sell something very quickly because there's money to be made. Um, so it's really nice. Um, and also for people of, you know, who love history and who read about Gold Rush, um, in Klondike, for example, that is very much the same. You know, it's kind of like reading those books, uh, uh, for example, Jack London's books about uh, Klondike and Gold Rush. It's like it's uh, it's it's nice reminder of uh, the space and how uh, insane it can be when there is uh, money that's discovered and some people are getting rich quickly, and so how others are reacting to that. Is that Alaska Ev, the book? Uh, no, that's... Oh, my God. Uh, I have Jack one of Lund my oh, favorite books, Jack London's Call of the Wild, I think. Ah, righto. Yeah, okay. There's another oh one God, called I Alaska. <laughs> yeah, if, if you like that one, uh, there's one just called Alaska, and it's a, a guy that he writes, like, the history of, like, a little, like, Ireland, China, and he's done Alaska, and if you like, the, he does the whole story of the Klondike, and yeah. it's amazing. Um, like it, it's just like a series of stories put together and it's exactly that just people rushing to the Klondike any way they possibly can there was no transport so and the the river was frozen over so they just they didn't have any skates so they just found a way to like do some makeshift skates and, and skate up the river to, to get there any way they possibly could but it's amazing and the dynamics are the same isn't it like when we look at um, at the way that the, the cycles have gone, like two se like two thousand and seventeen, um, you know, like the the uh, the ICO boom, like you were talking about, like it's you could 
everyone could kind of see the writing on the wall at the time. I was like, oh, this is probably not going to end well. And people were just throwing money at projects and every single project was going to make it and every single project was going to change the world and decentralize everything. But the problem was there was so much money flooding into these projects at the time. I was like, oh, hang on. We just made like, uh, for the founders, it was like, oh, we just made like 20, 30 mil plus. Um, Why don't we just like go and eat some lobster and go to the club and uh, we don't really need to make this project anymore. And Andreas Antonopoulos was kind of warning about us, warning about it at the time. I was like, um, "Hang on, guys! Like, if you're just throwing money at these um, at these uh, new startups, where's the the impetus for them to like um, to stand up and go to work every day and and develop this thing? Like, it needs to it needs to come from somewhere. And and it wasn't until like the massive dump of all those projects and many of them took the money and disappeared that you. You can see like which projects were actually really into um, making something on this on this network, and there wasn't many. There wasn't many at all. A lot of them just have either disappeared, or that it was too early for the tech, or you know a number of other um, issues happened at the time. Uh, it, was, it was a really interesting process. I think it woke a lot of people up to the fact. It's like, oh, okay, this takes work. This. This is something that needs building over a, a long period of time. So we, we need to like we, we need to fund projects that are, that um, have a, a genuine roadmap and do want to decentralize and and you know that, that are that are um, that have a realistic goal um, with um, you know with with provable steps and and all those things. And you know we still we still made the mistake in this bull run that. With, with projects and and it is really interesting that when we when we go to this bull run like like you were talking about um, so many projects like um, oh like board apes for example like uh, introducing a coin is just kind of like another way of, of monetizing an already profitable network and it's like oh like when, when I see that like intro- introduction of the coin especially of a bull market it just puts my warning bells on I was like oh, okay this is this is a this is a grab now, and it, it just reminds me of those times in two, 2017 when everyone was just jumping each other, over each other to um, to get a hold of these things when um, there isn't really much of a use case. It's not going to be you're not going to be able to go down and, and buy a, um, a loaf of bread with it in time like Bitcoin or Ethereum or or what have you, and it's and um, and it, and it creates like a, a members only um, <clears throat> a members only network and and kind of a walled garden of okay we're in the club now we get all the benefits but those benefits generally they only last as long as a, a bull market lasts and everyone realises you know what who's been swimming naked um, in in those times in the bull market and and it, it's a really it's a, it was a really interesting dynamic watching all that especially in this <clears throat> in this bull market because you know it's I I, I think at the time when when everyone was was all in on these projects, and everyone, it was a big love in, and, and everything was going right. That's probably a time when you can look at your portfolio and go, okay, maybe maybe this is a time I should sell some Ethereum or some Bitcoin because nothing's going wrong, <laughs> everything's perfect, e- everyone's uh, loving the the in, the the environment. And it wasn't until things started to turn south and projects started to fail that everyone was looking at each other going on oh, what you know like uh, you, you can see the little squabble start and and it, and it was almost like watching um you know the, the classic uh the bull cycle you know that go over the tip and then into the into the, the pit of despair and, and back out of it again um and 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 i think we're you're exactly right we're we're at this point where all those um 
the euphoria is done and we've had those conversations on the way down and we've gotten to a point where it's looking like we can just get back to work and start building the things that we should be building again and focusing on um, on the framework and putting everything else to the side. So these are really important times and they generally like each of these like bull cycle, um, the bear cycles generally like you know, if we go by history, they're like one and a half, two years. They're like this is this is the the point where we kind of like dust off the the scars and everything, and and move forward in in a way that's going to make the next bull cycle so much more so much more real and and more effective. So for sure. But I would add something uh, kind of like that. The cycle started to go faster up and down, but actually it wasn't the case. You know, for people who lived through the seventies, uh, <laughs> I haven't. I'm uh, I'm the eighties baby. But uh, for people from like late sixties and seventies, they lived for, for for like ten years of depression ish. You know. Uh, especially in the states, so it, like the states was like influencing how the world would would feel uh, and how the U.S. economy would feel, um, and that is not a good time. And like you know, going through like ten years of stagnation and and uh, inflation and, and like the whole mixed bag of things where it's like bad and worse and worse and worse. Uh, I think hopefully we'll have like faster cycle this time, uh, even though I think we will still see a lot of projects, um, you know, failing throughout 2023, uh, partially because, you know, one thing that I learned, I guess, in the last couple of years is that uh, a lot of people thought, uh, myself included, that we're so great at investing, um, but in reality was is that the interest rates were low. <laughs> and so you can be like just putting random, buying random stocks, random NFTs or whatever, and everything would be going up and you're like, oh, I'm so genius. I like, I can do the peaks uh, better than professionals. Well, in reality, just like zero interest rates that uh, led to all of this and obviously expansion of monetary supply. Uh, and now that there is all this tightening and it's not done yet and the Fed is doing their thing and, you know, there's the a bit of a war on crypto uh, and with FTX and now it's like it's, I don't know, maybe Binance will be next or something like that. Uh, and a lot of this uncovering, it, it probably will take us up until late 2023 when the projects that we would believe to be like safe and sound and healthy would actually start failing whether you know they would just look at their um assets or their balance sheet and they would be like oh yeah <laughs> we better close down soon uh and so it is very it's kind of like it's very uh boring to be uh, building boring businesses and we all want to build exciting businesses and like fun businesses but i, I think the reality is that if you want to build for long term you kind of have to be very uh, conservative uh, and very uh, uh, well frugal and conservative and just kind of like build for long term without like all the flashy fads um, all around that and that takes time and that takes um, you know there's a lot of reputational risk as well 
uh yeah kind of like i could tell a lot of stories i guess like it's enough for a book as well uh, and i think tk and i like we have a lot of those stories to shoot around from not just from 2017 but even from like this year you know when we would partner with a company and uh, uh, the, like the day we completed integration the company is like oh by the way we're not going to support this product anymore <laughs> i'm like uh <laughs> that's really strange <laughs> is that how you know is that how the bull market is where you just you know do something and uh, we put our dev resources, they put their dev resources, and once it's done, they're like, oh, well, we're pivoting. And, like, you know, after recently finishing a book uh, by Sony co-founder, Akio Morita, it's called uh, Made in Japan, like, they were building this for, like, 20 or 30 years. They were building reputation, one product or one service at a time, uh, to build, you know, Sony into what Sony is uh, today, or at least what it was like 20 or 30 years ago. And that all takes a lot of time and that takes a lot of human touch, uh, regardless of whether it's Web3 or Web5. Um, and in the rush of the bull market, people just forget that it takes humans to build stuff and they just want to do something, click, 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 make money and just disappear. And uh, I think it's not really a sustainable approach. And uh, um, yeah, I don't see those people around as much anymore. I'll tell you that. <laughs> No, there's there's always the, the fly by night, isn't there? That come at the end and expect the riches, expect the glory, but it, it takes the focus. You're exactly right, and it's um, oh, I think it was Peter Thiel in in uh, like zero to one. He talks about that. He talks about it's like, it's like in, invest in in the guys that are there from the start. Invest in in the. Uh, the people that are a little bit weird um, that are on the that are on the fringes that um, that have had a vested interest in this for a long time. If if they come in and um, you know they're they're wearing the the suit and the top hat and telling you how great they are and um, and uh, giving you a pitch about how they're going to change the world, that's generally not not uh, the person or the network or. Or or whatever that that um, one should be investing in. It's 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 always the person that is, or the network or whatever that is putting their project uh, somewhat like ahead of themselves. That that they what they believe in and their goal is 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 more important than um, than making money like riches everything else. That someone like Vitalik Buterin is is a really good example. He's kind of weird, nerdy, super smart, and he just wanted to do something that Bitcoin wasn't doing. Um, and and like talking about Vitalik, he actually went to Bitcoin. He went to XRP and these other networks to to say, hey, like um, let's do this. Let's build on Bitcoin. Um, uh, I don't know if Rootstock was around at the time. He's like, we can build applications on Bitcoin. We can build applications on XRP. And he and they said no, like we're not we're not doing it that way. Uh, so at 17 years old, he he created his own network and he believed in what he was doing and and he had a vision and it was really clear to see. And he even said himself, it was kind of like a <clears throat> a ready fire aim approach. You know, he he wrote the code and there was flaws in the code um, at the time. Uh, when it was released, and and they and the DAO happened, and we invested in the DAO. That's a book in itself. That was a disaster. Almost like did my stack on the DAO, but they they found out a way to get through that, which was an, a near disaster. And 
And and that's a good example of like um, someone like Vitalik who builds this network and believes in the code and believes in uh, in, in building applications in a peer to peer way and some some opportunists that come along and offer and try and offer the world and and build the world on top of it straight away and it was way too early for its time and and way too ambitious and forced out there is kind of like a cash grab and they made a huge amount of money. But it was it, it it wasn't ready and it had massive flaws. Um, it's less boring than something like building on uh, on a network that's stayed boring the whole time, like Bitcoin or or to a lesser degree Ethereum. But but it's solid and it and it works and it and it grows slowly. And if you look at the adoption at the uh, the adoption curve and the price curve of things like Bitcoin and Ethereum, if you just um, put a line under the like the, uh, the the highs and lows of of both those coins, even though they've had huge pumps. Um, it's it's a s- slow curve and it's exponent. It'll it'll get to a point where it gets exponentially higher because um, you know it gets to that point where it's like slowly, slowly, then all at once, and and everyone will realize the, the masses, the the innovators come in and the developers come in, and then the early adopters, and it'll get to the point where the masses are like, oh wow, this this is this is something really cool. This is something that we can make money. We can monetize our our photography or our video or or whatever on in a decentralized way, and we could get paid in uh, in tips on potentially on Twitter or or. Um, through a, a hosting platform or something like that, there's huge value in this. And oh, well, we can we can send this peer to peer. This isn't like a central bank currency. That's that you know we're we're looking at in the next couple of years that that's going to trace us. Like the the benefits start to hit home for the masses, and and that's where the people that have been around since day one that believe in it. That's that's when the 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 benefits like truly start coming in for all those those people. <laughs> this is getting so far beyond art collecting. I love it. <laughs> It's got to start somewhere, though, right? Um, yeah, really, really fascinating. So, TK, were you? Were you? Um, it sounds like since you were in so early, um, did were you doing something in um, financial investments and all of that before, or do you have like a, a previous chapter where you did something totally different? Like I don't know, you know, race sailboats or something like that. <laughs> no, and no, the Sunshine was, Coast. I'm still a terrible investor, but I, like, I bought. I, I realized like. Um, I was a winemaker, so I worked in a in a cellar, like in a cold, dank. Uh, just picture a cold, dank, dark place where you don't make very much money and you get trench foot. That's that's what working in a cellar is. It's not as glamorous as as, as uh, the the videos and and the movies and everything make it out to be. It's it's pretty pretty tough work, but amazing. And working in a in a vineyard as well. So that that was kind of, and I realized at the time I was like, oh, okay, I, I get it. Like I've worked for a long time. Um, I was in uh, doing um, advertising and stuff before that, but changed had a change of career. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I just realized, like, okay, I'm going to take some risks here because the the cost of living's going up and what have you, and and um, this it's it's worth getting into having a crack at investing. So I bought Tesla and I bought, and that did pretty good. And I bought Solar City and that did bad. And but I, I always always believed in um, a level level playing field and uh, like peer to peer this this idea of like we we can operate without kind of walled gardens and uh, intermediaries and and I think that's kind of like the what the promise the original promise of the internet was and when I found out that like you could literally do that it was something that 
I've been like trying to figure out in my head how this, how it could possibly happen um, and what a revolution that would be. And when I found out about Ethereum, I was like, oh, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm all in on this. And I, I've never, I, like, I was still, I was working just to buy more Ethereum for <laughs> minimum wage, you know, and, and just I put all my money into Ethereum because um, it was, it's a, it's a peer to peer network where we can, operate freely and there's and the idea of trustlessness is is amazing like um and you know we could see um it's it's when whenever there's an intermediary there's always going to be a trust issue and and as as soon as as soon as we can go and and that's and that's not to say that intermediaries shouldn't intermediaries shouldn't exist because um ethereum is built for intermediaries but if it's built in a trustless way where um where everything is where you can uh, <clears throat> put details, you can program uh, transactions on one end uh, to be agreed on by the other before the transaction takes place. That's a hugely, hugely powerful thing, and its applications are like it's it, it hasn't even started yet. And I, I kind of saw that was that was going to be um, a massive kind of watershed moment if it worked, and and that's that's yeah. I've I've been just. Writing about it and learning about it and being involved ever since. I haven't uh, haven't I've drunk a lot of wine since then, but I haven't made any wine since then. I've just been a crypto guy for four years now. So and NFTs now, yeah. And and like when NFTs came along, it was like crypto got a little bit boring. I went through the 2017 thing, um, bought a few projects I thought had potential. Turns out they didn't. So there's I was kind of lost heart in in. Um, the in the fact that a lot of uh, fly by night opportunities came in at that at that time, and it was really hard to find uh, that original crowd that were just in it for these huge ideas and and these innovative uh, projects, and and all those people are still there, but they're just harder to find. It's just been diluted. But I found with NFTs, like all the early entrants into this NFT game were really like because they were representing themselves, like. And you guys are, are representing every single artist, and you want to do that in the best possible way you can, right? So it, it's it changes the dynamic. If you have a photographer that's put their life work, <clears throat> or an artist, or digital artist, or what have you, has put their life work into something that means something to them, and they want to see that presented in a way that um, that honors them, a way that they can um, maximize their um, their gains, like in in a multitude of ways, like. It's so it, it puts that trust trustless element back back into a transaction again, and I like you know I, there there's a lot of artists that that say like it's all about in the art, and and I agree like it is all about the art, but it's all about the the time as well, and and like if you look at um, something like uh, like the New York uh, the the street art scene like from oh god what was that oh like the eighties nineties. When uh, there was like a, a bunch of artists that were coming up together, they had uh, they they marked a moment in time, and they they had a focus, and there was a story that was created around them. And without that, without that network, like we wouldn't have got, we probably wouldn't have got Basquiat, who is amazing and changed the world of art. And and also without like original OGs like Andy Warhol, maybe we wouldn't have got Basquiat either. So that's why I think. At, at this time, if we can create something and focus on um, this time and break down those those trust walls, keep everything trustless and make everything about the art because everything else is is being put into place in the right way, 
we could create a move like a revolutionary like renaissance art movement right here where it's going to add value to everyone's art just from from being and and minting and posting your art at this time and there's there's huge potential for that and we might have already done that already but it always takes a few years right for that to to play out and and see see what history thinks of this time yeah yeah exactly (laughs) go ahead so no i just wanted to congratulate uh, tk because it's 60 minutes of the space and we're still on track that's very very rare you guys have no idea how special this is that depends on where the train is going (laughs) like who knows where the train is going whether the tracks are going that way or not there's always some switching going on what tracks tracks so 7 a.m. TK is quite on track. Uh, after 12, good luck to you. Well, I think it's but, it's, qu- it's quite great. <laughs> but uh, TK, if I can quickly ask a question about the art side, you know, you, I know you invest into a lot of PFPs. That's definitely investment and you expect it to one fine day flip it and make some money out of it and all that. But when it comes to art, I've seen your collections many, many times. Uh, so what's your thought process behind that? Is it just for the artist, investing into the artist and just to help them float or do you also look look at them uh, in certain cases maybe as investment but in most cases do you see them as investment or just a, a little bit that you could do for the artist um if if for one of ones it's almost it, it is the artist to a degree if they are invested in this space like that's the the big big caveat like if it's um a traditional artist that is like a um uh like a canvas artist or something like that that um, just wants to flog everything as a as double up on an NFT, then I'm not really interested. But if, if it's an artist that is uh, genuinely interested in this space and wants to stay in this space and likes the idea of being able to... Um, uh, to design uh, to design a, um, a network the way... Uh, they've always envisioned, and that's that's a huge plus. And that I, I think that's that's where photography really excels in this market because it's digital photography. It's made for NFTs. Um, it's something that can be incorporated easily into like <clears throat> uh, metaverse and augmented reality, and a lot of uh, you know more than just like a plasma screen or something like that. So there's a huge future in displaying um, photography. And oh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, it's happening. Mm. <laughs> Those rails. <laughs> it's over. There's no rails. The rails are gone. Um, so it's they're the they're the really important things. But yeah. So to answer your question, like it's it's during the bull market, I, I felt way more rich than I do now. So it was it wasn't really a huge deal because there was so much being uh, there was so much on Twitter. There was so much. Uh, there there was new art popping up every day. So it was just like. If for me, my criteria was: Do I love it? Obviously, is the big one. Um, do I do I have a relationship with that person as well? Is was a big one um, because you could you could see the ideas and the thought processes behind how how that was how the the art was made. Um, and uh, was it weird? Was it something that that someone else wasn't doing? I really like. Um, I know, like you can always do, uh, you know, with with something like landscapes and and things like that. There's you know, there's only one landscape, but was it, did it have a unique perspective? Like, was it something that no one's done before? Is it, is it groundbreaking? Um, you know, is it capturing a special moment? All, all, all those little things is like, and it, and it talks to everyone in a, in a different way, right? Like, and that's, and, and that's what I really kind of, <clears throat> that's what I really enjoyed about the process because I never like collected art before. And like, it, it's, 
Um, I mean, I've, I've collected, we've collected physical art here, but not at the scale of, of collecting digital art, not like nowhere near. So you learn a little bit about yourself and your style as well by the more that you collect, the more that you can, you can see those little things about yourself and that you wouldn't even recognize, I think, in, in the way you dress or the way you act or whatever. So it's kind of like a little bit of a self-discovery as well. But speaking of physical art, you know, I've seen that Chris has sent you a, a print of his image and Mustafa, I remember, he has sent you a print of his image. So I'm sure many more have come to you uh, from the ones you have collected. So you don't like to really reveal yourself in this space, you know. Uh, you've been saying that you'll dox yourself, but it's never happened. But when it comes to giving your physical address to the artist, you are quite cool with that. So that, that, that's really cool. I like that uh, aspect because many collectors don't like to reveal their address and etc. So how is that going? How many prints do you have right now in your home? I have too many. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've only got a tiny little house. So I, I have way too many. So I've, we, we swap them out because we've only got like one wall space and we rent so we can't just like put nails in the walls everywhere so we've only got a limited amount of places where we can put a frame and uh and that includes everything we've collected so far so we just we rotate everything in and out um yeah like originally like and with the doxing originally it was it we um, were thinking of being completely anonymous, but you can't really. Like, it gets to a point where you, where you want to go to a meetup and you want to meet people and you make friends on here. So it's like, yeah, you can't, you're missing out on too much by just being completely anonymous. And um, so, yeah, docs soon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, there have been multiple plans. Uh, TK, you know, because even today when Sloika mentioned the space, I'm like, please remind TK that there is a space, otherwise may- maybe he'll forget it. Because you said average base camp with me. You said, let's go to India. Then you said, we'll come to Dubai. So what's going to happen among all this? Everest base camp. Well, I was like... I'm, a, I'm about to turn 40, so I was gonna. I'm gonna make a, a series called um, like a midlife crisis, where I'm just going around and doing all the bucket list things. And Everest was a bucket list thing, so it was like three o'clock in the morning when, uh, for me, when when you were having that space and talking about Everest. And I think that was when uh, when I said yes at like some crazy hour of the morning um, in that space. And and I yeah, absolutely want to do that. And uh, it was it was difficult in COVID to to get away. Um, you know, in in the last year or so, so you know, now that things have settled down a little bit, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do Everest, take some pictures, and that's amazing. I will capture your pictures as you do your <laughs> bucket list. That sounds like a great series. <laughs> I I love it that you you said that you know, first of all, the the work has to appeal to you, and you have to really connect to it. And then if it's from an artist who you can kind of tell by their movements here in the space that they're intending to stay, you know, stay in this realm of creating art and whether it's the same art or, you know, always evolving. But do you have any favorite um, connection stories to artists that you met along the way? You know, whether it was in person or just, you know, your interactions with them in the space, any any stories you could share about that? Maybe it's just a vote. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's Sabad. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I was like, I was really anonymous at the start, and um, and I think Sabad was the, was the first one to reach out in in spaces, and I, I guess that started everything um, for me in terms of of like having a dialogue about what was going on here, and I, I never considered myself. Um, someone that anyone would want to listen to. So I was like, why? Why the hell do you want to talk to me for? I'm just a guy on his computer that likes buying buying pictures. 
that I like. Uh, I don't. I haven't really got anything to say. But I've, I got. I realized that. Um, you know that, like, as we did so many spaces together, that it was like, okay, then we like we've maybe together we've got a lot of things that we can we can add here, and and we've like we've done so many spaces about um, just little things that I took for granted that are really really important, like um, security and um, decentralization and and um, like building contracts and and things like that. Um, I mean, not like, not even like to mention everyone else, like that, you know, we've like, we've got to know like during that process as well, like um, we had, there, w- there was a time we were doing like spaces about Astro and, and Michael were there and those spaces would go for like six hours. Like I I'd get up in the morning and like walk down to the beach and, and be sitting on the beach doing spaces at like four o'clock in the morning and we we're still doing it. We were still going at like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock that day. It was just because it was such a laugh. And it was, it was something that like, for me, it was like, I, I don't know anything about astrophotography, but they were talking about equipment used for astrophotography. Um, uh, and, and then we went to kind of like talking about uh, like the history of, and astrology. And then we went to talking about ducks and dodos. It was like it, everyone kind of, it's, it's really cool being able to bring all these ideas together. You can learn so much by listening for an artist listening to a tech person and a tech person listening to a collector. And once all those ideas are mashed together, like it's, you can get so much value out of it. So I guess, yeah, Sabod's probably the story. I mean, there's, there's so many more, but um, yeah, that's, Sabod would be the standout. Yeah. I mean, I remember those spaces. They were so amazing. Those good days of uh, having space on astrophotography. What I like is TK, you know, he's such a curious guy. You know, he wants to know exactly what it's all about, you know, like what's in the sky, what's in the cosmos and all the technicalities that comes along with it. We even had an astrophysicist who came into our space in that space, which TK was talking about. He was giving all the alpha about cosmos and everything. And we managed, you know, that's what I said, TK sticking to a topic is amazing right now because in that space, in front of an astrophysicist who's already wondering what's all this PFPs in this room or with all these punks and MFRs and what's going on with these guys, you know, he's already thinking that way. And then we pushed the topic to ducks and Michael had some wonderful contribution on how ducks mate and all that. So the astro turned into something else by the end of it. I wish I could unsee that, but if you don't know about that, don't don't bother looking it up. It's fine. Some things are, just, are better left not seen. Yeah, I can agree. Having seen it, I would say I would agree. <laughs> um, we we brought Carrot to the stage, and I uh, just wanted to say hey real quick. Um, maybe you have a free minute, Carrot, to say hi to everyone. Hi, hi, Ben. Hi, hi, hi. Bye. Hello, Michael, and hello, everybody else. Just wanted to come say hi. How are things in the Big Apple? Big Apple is frozen at the moment, but uh, yeah, I'm surviving it. Well, that's really good. Um, I was going to ask TK about, you know, we've been talking about your time really early on all the way up until now. And so you've seen so much innovation happening. I was wondering if there's any specific innovation you'd like to see in your wildest dreams. What what could this what could this art space, this uh, NFT art, NFT photography space look like, you know, five years down the road? Yeah, Um I, th- I think it's it's like we've kind of speculated about where it's going a lot. Like, you know, is it going to be metaverse? And and then the metaverse came along and, and everyone was like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this metaverse thing. I'll put the headset on and like an hour later, like my head's spinning. So everyone was like, oh, maybe maybe this isn't going to work. And then the, the augmented augmented reality thing like started to to pop up and, and we're doing um, – we were doing – 
like uh, NFT exhibitions on plasma screens and stuff like that. But I think for me, it I, I would feel like, wow, we're making it. If you can walk into um, like an, an empty warehouse with maybe um, like a bar in one corner and a DJ and white walls everywhere and put on some glasses in that empty room and all of a sudden it's just filled with like NFTs and augmented reality and it's kind of like a wonderland that's like putting 3D glasses on or something like that. I think that the potential for augmented reality in NFTs is is huge and uh, I, I think we'll get to a point where we can, where you, like you could go to a nightclub and there'll be NFTs popping up if you, if you put some um, LED glasses on or something like that. Um, in, in terms of like getting new entrants into NFTs, I think there's a lot of people that are really interested and they come in via like PFP projects and things like that. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of traditional photographers that haven't uh, come into the space and there's a lot of art lovers that are hesitant to come into the space. And, and I think breaking down the walls is really important. Um, making it making sure the process is is not like um cost prohibitive for new, for new entrants so like delivering value um and like I, I mean for for photography it's already it's it's already a, a massive plus in terms of um delivering value when um you're instead of setting up a, a shop and buying rent on that shop um you know you can you can put your work on sloika and all of a sudden you have access to the world that's that's a huge plus um, and and also like making sure that you know there's artists that have that have come uh, together from all over the world with with different economies and different ideas and different um, excuse me different different um, uh, different uh, technical skills it, to be to to put all those things together and be able to program um, a, a transaction uh, specifically for what you uh what you want your your final consumer to uh to be aware of and have that that transaction um <clears throat> fully open and fully trustless at the point of sale that will be the game chat that will be the point where um where all all bets are off because everything is on the on the table there's no room for um th- there's no room for speculation after the transaction's been made um you know a, a buyer is aware of uh licensing is aware of the ip is um has access to a high-res file um you know, knows knows the the uh, the sale and the resale value, like all the, all those things put together in, into into a smarter contract than than what we have now. And I know, like, um, I heard Ev talking with uh, in a previous space, like that you guys are in contact with Manifold, which is amazing because you, you're breaking down these um, the, those kind of walls in terms of putting together these contracts. Um, and to to see that as the um, in, encouraging that interaction, being a facilitator of that interaction and, and presenting photography or digital or whatever in a beautiful way, but it's still peer-to-peer. That's the, I think that's the holy grail for, um, for attracting new entrants into the market. If we see, <clears throat> I think if, you know, we, we've seen a lot of like, um, oh, the other networks that have like created a, a token for their platform and, and, um, and entry passes and things like that. I, it's not it's not really necessary unless it has functionality and, it, and I think it's a mistake and it's just creating um, like silos and walled gardens and there's no space for that it's got, like the the more that that happens the less um, the, like it takes value out of each artist's 
uh, ideas and work and, and their pockets because we're not going to create a, a renaissance of art by um, having a few select clubs and everyone's you're either on the outside or the inside. It needs to be like a collective network where um, we can um, we can be humans and we can take all those trust issues out of a transaction straight away and just focus on um, and that's when it's all about the art. We all those when when you have a transaction that's baked into the cake. Um, and that that trustless element is baked into the cake. You, the the producer and the consumer can just um, enjoy the experience with, without any any doubt or hesitancy about hesitancy about the the transaction. I mean, there's this huge huge value in that, and and that's what's going to bring all the traditional um, the traditional art market in. Like, Look at these guys; they're just having so much fun because everything all all their uh, everything's baked into these transactions and we can actually make some money doing it like it's amazing so if that happens in a few years and it's like all bets are off there's no like the the floodgates will be open and, and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun that that sounds like a great world <laughs> let's uh let's like, keep building that uh, i think i think that's a really great vision of the future and you're bringing up again about no silos and no walled gardens, you know, that, that, that's, that's kind of going backwards into um, where we've already been, where there's, there's the haves and have nots and there's the, either in crowd or out crowd, uh, you know, like if, if we move, keep moving forward to just like, let's all be humans and be our best selves and have, you know, have fun collecting and creating art. That sounds good to me. Um, and, and the kind of the, the next question that I had for you was, when you must have friends who are not into NFTs yet, perhaps, like some of us do, some of us have families that we have to go try to explain what we do for a living. Uh, what would be the first thing and the, the most the most um, clarifying thing you could tell to someone like that who was not understanding what NFTs or this whole crypto space was about, specifically about the art? What would you tell a traditional photographer about why they should get their butt in here now? <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've got this before, and like my folks are boomers, so like, I, I have this conversation all the time. They're like, "Oh, they, you know, they like, like they come up working in in sales and things like that." So it, it's a conversation I've had, and especially um, friends and things like that. They're like, "You know, how are you going with your pretty pictures? Are you you selling some some more pictures?" Oh yeah, yeah. It it sounds ridiculous. Like it sounds ridiculous as a as a way to to make a living but it just it works it's great it's fun it's like being a kid again it's fantastic um i think uh, for anyone for anyone coming in i'd probably say like i would say imagine imagine being able to imagine being able to transact like imagine being able to walk into an online gallery and buy a, a piece of art a piece of intellectual property anywhere in the world and being able to have kind of like sovereign rights over that uh, piece of intellectual property what's that what's that going to mean and if that's something that is that could become a classic because it was in the first wave of this revolution what would that mean to you what what would that mean to you, to you to be a part of something at, at this time, like to be able to walk into an on cyber and say, I, I love that. I, I want to buy that. And, and that means something like it clearly means something because when I sold some of my favorite like PFP projects, like, um, like, uh, punks or kitties early on, like I miss them. I want them back. I sold them, made a good profit, but I want them back. 
I, I, I would take every single one of them back because they they mean something to me. Like we, I talked to my my partner PJ about this. It's like, oh, we we love those. We love those things, and that means a lot. And th- and that's just a PFP project. Imagine if it's like a, a piece of art that means a huge deal to you. And as it as it grows, um, and as time goes on, it's there's huge value in that just for for being a part of this at at this time. I think that's that's a huge value proposition. And 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 those that are looking from the outside in don't have the penny hasn't really dropped yet. They're like, oh, I can just uh, right click save what what have you, like sure. But it's there is it's a very powerful thing um, to 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 own something it becomes a collectible it makes it it ma- instead of making it something that sits on a server it makes it it's something that has a location it has a it has a home and it's a it's a very powerful idea and uh it, it still sounds we were even talking about it but it just it's it's the it's 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 just like collecting anything else in your life, you know. It's um, like collecting stamps or collecting wine or or uh, having like a, a a bunch of vinyls in your um, in your man cave, like um, as opposed to like um, you know sitting in a shop or something like that. Like there's huge huge value in the idea of of sovereign ownership and and the fact that that art is the is the thing that's pushing it forward. Um, is is really really promising because art is weird and fun and attractive and um and and really easy to get into and that's and and it's 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 just kind of like the tip of the spear because it's going to open up to I mean all the boring stuff like contract law and and voting and um uh, social media and microtransactions all these things are going to come afterwards but the the fact that we have this this uh, you know this this network of of uh, sovereign ownership with art that is the, the the tip of this is is really really promising and it's going to add add huge value to to everyone that's here so and and that's what I say to everyone that gets that's got downhearted like after the the uh, after the bull market and everything it's it's like at least you're here at least you you're posting up your art and you might not sell. Um, the, the, the time horizon seems like it's like, oh, you know, I didn't do the best I could in the, the bull market. But, you know, if you go back to some of the most famous artists, they, they, they don't get discovered for, for decades. Like, I think in this case, we can compress everything in crypto is compressed. So we can um, compress that time horizon much more. And um, any, any OG artist, like everyone here is an OG artist and um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of the adoption scale. So um, I think... It's it's very promising for everyone here, and and there's there's a lot of value in the fact that NFTs have become the tip of this uh, the tip of this peer to peer revolution. So, do you create art, TK? Uh, no, <laughs> like I've always tried. I had like I was literally like bumbled over like paint Microsoft Paint like uh, for for years and years. I just and I, like I was drawn and um, drawn with like. Uh, pencil and charcoal and stuff like that, but never like never like it was it was never very good. But like and and I was sort of went into a career path where um, where it it was more of like a consumption career path. You know, I was like in worked in ads and sales and ads was a bit creative, but like sales and um, work wineries was a little bit. I guess wine like making wine is a bit of an art, but it's it's like a little bit of art and science, but. 
Um, no, I'm, I've kind of turned around, like I've got inspiration from everyone and I, w- I do want to um, start creating photography and, and videos and stuff as well. And that's why I kind of have gotten, to, hopefully gotten to a point now where I can, um, where I can do that. And, and w- you know, whether, <clears throat> whether I can, um, you know, like support myself from that, <laughs> it's like, that's a, it's a whole nother story, but I, I think there's huge value in, in just creating and, and I, I, it must be so rewarding to have like the very first buyer of your your work, you know, um, when th- when you go into it with with all the self doubt and and uh, and you, you know you blaze a whole new trail for yourself, like to make that that first little bit of ETH or the first buyer or the first um, subscriber or anything like that would be amazing. And that, I'm, I'm, it's, so it's kind of like a tide. I'm kind of swimming upstream <laughs> at the moment in terms of creativity and learning a lot. Um, but I think it'll be really rewarding getting to that point where, you know, I, I make this this um, documentary and I get the very first subscriber. Is It'll be pretty cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the people who have had, have experienced that and sold their first piece, yeah, that that is a uh, definitely an experience to share. So you are, you are making a documentary or is, is that tongue-in-cheek that <laughs> – no, I mean I am. Yeah, like I've got I've got a the camera. I've got a gimbal. I figure out what a gimbal does. Uh, that was a big thing. Got some help from PJ about how gimbals work. I've got a the Fujifilm XT4 here. I like did my research on what's an amazing camera. Um, and yeah, and and well, I, I I've got the idea. I just I guess I just need the the drive and the vision now. And and. Uh, um, and I'm going to make it happen. So stay tuned. <laughs> it means I'll have to dox myself too, which is terrifying. And and putting myself in front of the camera is also kind of terrifying because I don't even so much as take a selfie of myself. I'm generally don't turn the camera on myself. It's all very scary things, but um, yeah, the, the scary things are the most rewarding, right? So I we'll, guess we'll see what happens. <laughs> You're right about that for sure. Well, please keep us posted about that because uh, we we want to we want to know about that. And um, yeah, documentaries are are those those are definitely really important to 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 make. And I love watching art documentaries myself. So um, it sounds like this is going to be kind of one of those art technology great stories that will will be lovely to see unfold. Um, we have a hand up from Levin Art Group. Hi, welcome to the stage. Hey, um, good evening, or at least where, where I am almost. Um, I just wanted to respond to this, um, <clears throat> and I want to do so gently because I don't want it to sound like I'm attacking anybody, and that is not my intent. But, you know, years ago, I remember when Clinton and Bush were running against each other, and there's a famous quote where James Carville at the time, who was running Clinton's campaign, was asked about why he felt, you know, Clinton was doing a... a, a surprisingly, what was not expected, really strong showing against Bush. And his response was, the economy, stupid. Uh, It's a famous quote that he made, uh, which sometimes gets misquoted as, it's the economy, stupid. But the actual quote was, the economy, stupid. It was to somebody in the press corps, of course. And sort of in that spirit, you know, when you were talking about how are we going to get artists supposedly into this space, or do they need to be, you know, do collectors need to be onboarded? I don't know. That's like a whole other thing I won't go into. But if you believe they do, if you're one of those people like we want to onboard, I believe they need to be onboarded, whatever the case may be. They're not going to onboard for the reasons that are seem to be put forth like, you know, sovereign ownership. Art is fundamentally 
about meaning and the content that is embedded in whatever medium you choose, whether you're a painter or you're a digital artist and you happen to attach an NFT to your digital art or not, uh, or you make works on paper, or you're a photographer, or you're a video artist, or for that matter, you're an architect, or you're a choreographer, or you're a composer, whatever the case is, you are embedding meaning or content into the medium that you are using. And that is the fundamental reason that all artists I know become artists in the first place. And that is certainly, if not the primary reason, one of the very top primary reasons that collectors I know decide to collect art. They collect art because of what it means. They collect art because of its content. I've never asked a collector ever in my life, why do you collect or an artist? Why do you create art? And have one of the first answers out of their mouth be sovereign ownership, um, whether in the physical world or in the digital art world, as I understand it. There's nothing the matter with sovereign ownership, and it's a fine thing. Um, but, you know, sovereign ownership, who owns it, how do they own it, has more to do with control and has to do more with the transactional component of a thing. And if you're you know, in that case, you're talking about financial instruments when you're talking about sovereign ownership and transactionality, and which are great. I have nothing against, obviously, uh, financial instruments. Um, they make the world go round, and, and I participate with them. Having said that, um, financial instruments are one thing. Art is another thing. They are very different. Uh, and art, for me, and I think for every artist and collector I've spoken to, has to do with its value, its historical value, its aesthetic value, its content, what it means, uh, and so on and so forth, and what it's trying to communicate. Um, so I think if you are somebody who is interested in onboarding people or feel they need to be onboarded, and that's part of what you believe, either collectors or artists, um, you know, my response in a James Carville way, so I'm not saying this to anybody uh, specifically in this room, this is like a general comment, so I don't want anybody, you know, to get cross with me, but it's like... It's the meaning stupid. It's not sovereign ownership. It's not transactionality. It's none of those sorts of things. What makes people want to identify with, go stand in front of art in museums, collect art if they have the means to do so, uh, integrate art into their lives, has, you know, you're never going to hear somebody say sovereign ownership. So I think it's really important that if you believe this is important and you want more people to participate in the space, you need to know that the driver is the art. I think we can all agree on that. But what's, but the poor part of the art that really matters is the content and the meaning. That's the driver if to get people onboarded. And, you know, that's sort of the cynosure of what I don't hear discussed in most of these rooms, there's a lot of discussion about concepts of ownership and, you know, where this thing resides on the blockchain and, you know, price movement and transactionality and all these things. And they're all fine things to discuss. But those things are adjacent to the main event, but none of those are the main event. Well, thank you so much for sharing that perspective. I can see where you're coming from and and have have heard a lot of uh, conversations about, you know, the one reason why someone collects from another person is, you know, understanding that meaning and the and the content of what's what's in that piece. Um, it's really it's really interesting. And have you have you um, had a conversation like this where you're trying to onboard someone? 
from non NFT, uh, a life of no, no NFTs yet to one where they understand or are interested in participating in it. I'm just curious because that that's something yeah. we're trying to do at all times, you know, like looking for some well, helpful uh, strategies for yeah. that because we do that. Yeah, we do that day in. Fair day question. Out. Um, well, I, I'd spent 40 years out in the so-called physical or traditional, whatever you guys call it, world as an art advisor uh, at a reasonably pretty high level. Um, and then I've also spent about, uh, you know, roughly 10 years in this space, uh, really, to be honest, more involved with blockchain technology per se, rather than specifically, uh, you know, and NFTs and, and, and the sale of, you know, images as JPEGs kind of thing. Um, my, my real interest is in, is in um, blockchain technology, because I really think that the future for blockchain technology has very, 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 very little to do with uh, the transaction back and forth of, you know, JPEG images of, you know, monkeys or me bits or, you know, Pepe Frog or, you know, whatever the, you know, you know, cyberpunks or, or one of ones or whatever. Um, so in the discussions with the clients I have who are mostly collected, you know, physical work, the issue isn't that there's pushback against, you know, um, digital work per se, because as I've, I've discussed this in other rooms, digital work has been around a really long time, right? Generative work goes back to the 1950s. Uh, Computer-aided work starts in the 1960s. AI starts in the 1970s on the West Coast. Uh, so, you know, there is a long, profound history of generative, computer, AI, digital, whatever you want to call it, art. It's been around a long time. It has a very storied, very wonderful history um, over many generations at this point. Uh, but the, the, the pushback is more against right now what the collectors see as like literally the meaning or the content in a lot of the kind of NFT work that they see. It's, it's you know, much of it, if it's PFP projects, well, let's put those aside for a minute because that's like a different sort of thing. I don't think it's fair necessarily to compare these things side by side. And I don't know that it's useful in, in the discussion. So when we're looking at one of ones or people who are doing drops, you know, that might be additioned, which is perfectly fine too. I don't, can do whatever you want. I don't see a positive or negative there. Um, I think that the, what the collectors are looking for to a certain extent are people who are both aware of the history of digital art going back, you know, up to 70 years, as well as like art historical knowledge going back as far as one wishes to go. When we look at, you know, art in the physical world that's made, you know, uh, whether again, paintings or photography out in the digital world, those artists are investigating and interacting with all that have gone before them. And what they do is they kind of push that history through sort of the crucible of their own style. And what they're trying to do is push forward the language uh, of art history forward in their in their own way. And this doesn't happen, you know, out of the blue. Uh, ex nihilo would be the Latin, so to speak. This always happens with a, a knowledge of all that has gone before. And yet out of that, each individual artist is able to somehow, you know, find a way to take what's gone before and and not just reproduce or recreate it, uh, but they're able to produce or create their own new language out of that which preceded them, rather than just sort of copying that which preceded them. But what I see a lot, I think what the collectors see a great deal in the digital space is a kind of lack of awareness of history, or sometimes a, a real, like, 
I mean, on purpose kind of ignorance of art history. Like, I don't need to know about that. That stuff's stupid. That's old shit. This is new. Old is bad. New is great. You know, all that kind of kind of stuff. It's a revolution. And I'm like, no, this is an evolution. Uh, art history is an ongoing discussion. Um, and it is cumulative. And it happens across tens, hundreds, and thousands of years. But it seems like many in the space to the collectors that I work with don't want to or feel they need to or whatever the case might be. I don't want to like put words in anybody's mouth. Don't necessarily interact with that. And if they do many times, it's at a very fallow kind of surface veneer level. It's not a deep dive into true understanding. So I think a lot of people are sort of standing around in the physical world, kind of with their hands in their pockets, ready to go. Uh, it's not a fear of being onboarded, or it's not a desire to not be onboarded. It's like, show me the good stuff, and then I'm going to be like really excited, and maybe I'll put my toe in the water and like you know, like you know, uh, you know, get going. But I think it's, I yeah. think that that's kind of the issue right now. Again, it comes back to the content. It's about the content, mm -hmm. right? It's about the meaning. It's not about like whether you're yeah. a digital artist or you're a painter. The people in the physical collecting world don't care about that. They collect videos. They collect photography. They collect paintings. They collect works. They collect everything. Why would digital be any different? You know, not at all. Yeah. It's exactly, all good. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for bringing that up. Yeah, I was, I was. I was wanting to jump in and say to TK that I'm sorry that he misses his kitties and his punks because I can understand, you know, he he has he has things that he did have ownership over and and now he doesn't and I can totally understand the feeling of loss that he is was expressing earlier. Um, so Bo, did I, I saw your just your hands up was just a the loss ago. because he sold them or, or or he lost? I mean, just what what was the loss? I didn't hear that part. Forgive me. Well, I think I think. He could probably explain it, but I think that there he has was explaining that he has an emotional tie to the work that he collects, and that's why he collected it in the first place. It wasn't only just for buying and flipping, but at one point he did sell something that he was like, "Well, that was something that meant a lot to me," and you know he misses it. I think I can totally understand. TK, you can jump in too. <laughs> There's yeah, been a lot I mean, of okay, said here. <laughs> I, yeah, and um, like when we talk about meaning, like. Um, you know, it's like, I don't want to get bogged down in the like semantic, but like we, we talk about a revolution and an evolution, but um, maybe we need to have like a bit of a, a, a devolution as well, like to, to make art more accessible to, to people that are outside of the like the stuffy rich people and money launderer traditional network, you know, like it's like there's so many, so many, so much great art is, is coveted. And imagine having like a, like a beautiful work of art and uh, that maybe one other person's created and just putting it down in your in your basement and saying, yeah, I've got this great art. It's down there. Uh, no, I mean, it's, yeah, I've got a cover over it. Um, but yeah, I can, I can leave. Yeah, I can assure you it's beautiful. Um, no, you don't get to see it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like the meaning now has changed. Like the, the meaning that we have now is like a consensus that something is beautiful because everyone can see it. Um, so it's changing like that, um, you know, someone's like, uh, instead of a, a piece that's sitting in someone's, uh, a rich person's house somewhere that, that no one else can, can see. Um, like it's, yeah, it's I just wanna, the whole, I, 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 these are common things that, you know, I do hear a lot. Common, but, but, common but is the, the word the because the, the, the common, the common people, 
first of all, there's much more no, laundering. No, no, the comment, this, this is the thing. I think you've, I think you've really hit the nail on the there's head. There's much because, more laundering in the crypto Because world. I think you've really hit the nail on the head because you said the word common, yes. and that's what it is. It's common It's common people that have access to I mean, go to I, a museum. I, I They're free. Studied. I studied. Walk into a museum. You can see yeah, all I work. Did. You I can did go to galleries. They're free. Went, every art gallery is free. Yes. It doesn't cost you a thing to go. Yes, and I. You can look at all. And the I did, and I do. Okay, so don't. So, I did, and and I do. Let's, Common. If I if I could, um, excuse me, Levinar, I just I, I would like to listen to what TK has to say. Because when it's factual and accurate, news, that really annoys me. That's all. I mean, differences okay. of opinion. This is problem, but factual inaccuracies, like laundering, goes on out in the. Or if if you haven't worked in the physical world as I have, the laundering has happened. Like, look at FTX. That's the laundering. The laundering doesn't happen in the art world to that ex- nearly to that extreme. There's laundering in everything we do. I mean, there's laundering in stocks. There's like you know, real estate. There's laundering in everything, of course. But the physical art world has far less of it because we have KYC rules. You have to know where the cash is coming from now. In the old days, we didn't. But now you do. When the cash goes out, you have to know who it's going to. Everything is tracked. Everything. I, you just can't get away with it. Even sales tax is like impossible to avoid now. It used to be really easy, to be honest, like 20 years ago. Not even, you can't even do sales tax or use tax now. But the crypto world, that's where the laundering is and in massive quantities. So, um, so if I, you want, I mean, like we're, we're talking about yeah. we're talking about two different ideas. Like you're talking about art, uh, the meaning of art, um, but you, you've also dictated that th- there's so much more to the, to the meaning of art than the art itself. Like the fact that it's uh, it's transactional a different way. The fact that no, it's the right? traditional art world is is, is yeah. I'm the, I'm just saying that's part that's part of the landscape of what that work of art is. It's how it's transacted. Is it being used uh, by uh, traditional means is it is it a, a tax write-off or all these things are part of the story of that work of art and and to change the landscape uh, now we have a whole new landscape uh, where art can be traded it's opening up to a whole new demographic a whole new audience like um, like galleries like I, I, I went to a gallery I had to go for uni I did I did art history at uni I, I, I had to go to a gallery literally every day and I knew I could never afford any of those amazing works of art that were up on the wall that I had to stare at and write about and, and all those things. But for the first time, there's a whole generation of people that can come in and the art might be naff or it might be simple or or um, or it might be whatever, but it means something. It means something to them. It just it doesn't mean something to the traditional art world who've who have bought through who have bought their art through traditional channels and and uh, have gone for a specific style, whatever. But it means something. It means something to to anyone who buys it. And and the the fact that there's there's all these transactional things happening around it. Like I, I agree, we could like we could talk about the idea of what what sovereign is, and maybe it's not. It doesn't feel like a sovereign in traditional sense. But um, to me, like when I had like those early projects, it felt like they were mine. Like I had a wallet. They were um, they were directed to that wallet. Um, it wasn't like fully decentralized, but they were mine. And I knew that they were there and it meant something to me. And like, and we love those early projects and, and we do miss those early projects. And I'd take all of them back if I could. And that's got to mean something, right? 
Exactly. I was just curious. Why did I mean? I, I don't want you to be a private, or, or but can you sort of tell? Like, I know that the works meant something to you clearly, you know, and you like they really had, you know, like emotional resonance to you. Like, did you sell because you were like interested in buying some more exciting things at the time, or you know, I'm just curious, like, why a collector decides, any collector decides to like deaccession something that obviously, you know, they really enjoy or has meaning to them that they purchased at an earlier point? Was it to upgrade the collection or uh, that's always interesting to me? Yeah. Oh, like I went from PFPs to buying like photography and digital and, and a whole lot of different things, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't even call myself a collector. I'm just a guy. Like I'm not, uh, I, like I'm not, I, like I, I wouldn't announce myself as, as a collector. I'm just some, like a guy that that's, uh, was in the right spot at the right time that just fell into this and, and loved it. And um, so, so like, I, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, um, like, I'm anonymous. I'm not trying to garner brownie, brownie points. I don't dine out on the fact that I buy NFTs. No one knows me. No one's seen my face. Uh, I just do it because I love it. And that's, and that's the meaning that it has to me. And that's, and, and, and I, I think that's where the, where the value is. It's like, it's it's like it's kind of like the traditional art world, except it's accessible. Like there's only a tiny little amount of digital art that's available now, and there's a whole world out there that has potentially access to it. And and that's kind of like you, you go back to like every Renaissance or evolution or or what have you. That's that's how the most highly prized art started, right? It's a, the the supply and the demand dynamic. Well, now now that the the supply is small and the demands the whole world it's changed the whole dynamic of how we should how we should view this and it's it, like it's never going to be the same as like as all that the art that you know right like the traditional art the beautiful uh tactile pieces that you can hang on your wall it's a different thing it's a different thing altogether and it should be valued differently but there's there's still there's still value and there's still meaning in in that and and um i mean the, the fact that um that it's peer-to-peer for the first time it's like we have to acknowledge that that that's part part of the story of that art. Like it's 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 kind of like the frame for that art. Like uh, like being in an, in on cyber or something like that, but still having ownership and being able to buy in. And it's going to transcend to the traditional art world as well. Like it won't be long till <clears throat> you know you walk into an art gallery and you can buy. Uh, there'll be an option to buy a, a traditional piece of art uh, with a with a QR code and and buy it with ETH. Like that's a very realis- realistic thing as well. And and I think like like all the traditional artists, they um, they can throw their hands up in the air for so long, and eventually they'll uh, once once it catches on. Even with digital currencies, like it's regardless of what they, if it's a central bank currency or decentralized currency, like it's 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 a matter of time till these things start to to uh, transact via this medium. So it's like yeah, I, I think it's a matter of time. What's the peer-to-peer difference for you between buying something in this manner and finding, like, say, a local artist in your town or in your region? You know, like, I'm not talking about, you know, an artist that's, like, showing at, like, the big fancy, the Tate or something like that. But, I mean, like, finding, like, like an artist around your age or a young artist who you think is cool and local and you, like, you know, you you know, they're not represented by a gallery. You just think the work is excellent and you ring them up or email them or find a way to contact them and say, hey, I really like your work. It's cool. I'd like to buy a piece. And you, you know, they email you some images or maybe you go to their studio because it's local and, you know, you can walk there, whatever. And you buy a piece from them 
and do that? What's what's the difference for you on the peer-to-peer component? Not, not in the fact that it's, well, this is located on a blockchain and that's physical, but I mean, just in the relationship, in the peer-to-peer relationship. And why don't you, yeah. would be question. I, I, I mean, I think- I'm curious. Yeah, I think that's the that's really cool about what what Sloka is doing um, by like creating a like a, a beautiful landscape for for photography um, w- without putting the walls like w- without being like a like a Christie's or something like that. And you could accuse something someone like a I don't want to like badmouth like any anyone, but like someone like super rare of creating this Christie's like atmosphere, this walled garden of like, oh finally I made it to the hallowed turf and and I can uh, charge more for my work because I'm on a on a particular uh, website, which incidentally doesn't work that well to be honest. But let's let's just ignore that. The like the if you want you want the um, the experience to be of uh, of of moving through the photography and just uh, like like you're walking through a gallery. I think that's what Sloka do really well. It's like um, everything's landscape and you can move through, you can slide through photographies and it's really seamless. And if you go if you go to a lot of uh, like super rare or, or something like or you know, I'm really picking on super rare, but uh, s- several others like even like OpenSea or something like that. It's it's a it's a like a it looks like a web page. It's kind of it's 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 not beautiful and, and and there's there's huge value in in or, or something like an on cyber on cyber is still a little bit clunky but there, there there's value in sort of transcending the the two worlds and and being able to break down those those barriers like um and and it's 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 not eliminating like the traditional world of um uh of art uh retailers and and galleries and things like that if if it's there's there's a a piece for everybody and i think uh nfts are still going to be a smaller piece than the traditional art world so it's so so there there's there's a market there to uh have a little bit of a crossover where um you know where you can buy traditional art with with ethereum or or bitcoin or something like that and you can also uh use it with digital cash or with cash or or what have you and and nothing beats walking into a, a gallery of of like renaissance art or something like that at, at, in, in your local city or going to a local gallery that's that's super niche and and um has has uh, a distinct style like no, nothing can beat that but there there is there is room to have that uh to create that <clears throat> that human experience like you do when you walk into a gallery like you can have that online um you can have that where you meet the but- artist Go ahead. But you know what? Yeah, go Saban. This, this whole thing, you know, this whole NFT moment, it may be very hard to understand for people from outside. You know, these galleries and these museums, they're never for us. You know, it is for a certain number of people who could get into this, being in Dubai for 12 years and shooting like nonstop for 12 years and doing everything I could to make sure that my photography is good enough. Uh, despite that, you know, you never get an opportunity to get into a gallery and there's always a gatekeeper there and who's going to take a lot of our share, you know, when we sell, if suppose we sell. But here, it's all ours. You know, we come in, we put our work out and people like you and many other collectors appreciate it. So what's the big deal? You know, artists are getting a voice for once. Uh, apart from this, you know uh, moving away from all these gatekeepers so this is the best thing that could ever happen and whatever the small percentage is here let's have fun you know we are making money which is good which helps us survive what's the big deal what's the discussion all about I don't know yeah exactly the, the um, speaking of fun and all of these things I know TK you wake up you woke up really early to talk with us today and we've been talking for almost two hours yet 
So it's, I know that's a little bit longer than what we originally arranged with you. So um, I wanted to actually ask um, one final question, and that is when can we hear the next music space <laughs> from you? And do you still do you still play music for people to listen, or like you and your buddies? Like when can we when can we have a music party together? Yeah, I, I do it randomly. So whatever, like if I'm just at home, um, like playing vinyl or something like that, it, it, I, I just w- will put it on randomly. But there is a space, and and uh, Chip and and uh, Michael and a few others and I were doing a Friday night space where we, that was hilarious. That we would play uh, a, a specific style of music, and there was a it was kind of like X Factor or something like that. Someone would play, come up and play their favorite song from that style, and we would all just shit on them and roast them uh, and have a bit of a laugh about it. And everyone got upset and triggered, and it was. Uh, including us, and it was fantastic, and we all kind of, um, you know, had a, had a good laugh about, and and also discovered some amazing music. Uh, that one doesn't happen anymore, unfortunately. Uh, it like fizzled out. I think we did all the genres, but um, Chip's always playing uh, music um, at. I don't know. There, there, there isn't really a specific time. Fr- Friday nights, uh, Australian time is is a good time to to get on where there's uh, where. Uh, Chip normally has a space where there's some some music going, but it needs it needs to happen more. It's, I think as soon as we have like something like a desktop Twitter or, or better sound, it's just like all bet like everyone's going to be incorporating music into their spaces, and it'll be great. Hey, yeah, I can't wait for that. Go go ahead, TK, Chip. Why don't we do a music space um, later today? What are you doing later? Yeah, sounds good. Cool. I've, I've got to go out in the night, but in the, Not in the night, I'm, yeah. I'm, wait, wait till wait till twelve. Get a couple of cans, and we'll chuck on some bloody cold chisel, mate. <laughs> do you want to do it? Yeah, sounds good. All right, perfect. I'll set it up midday. Yeah, or what? Do it later than midday or midday? Yeah, midday. Midday. All right, we'll kick good. off with Akadaka. That sounds good. All right, you guys, we can come and listen to some great music, and let's hope that let's hope that the audio experience gets a lot better here <laughs> eventually. Well, I think some other things might need to change first, but yeah, eventually they'll get us some good audio. Um, well, TK, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Chip, Sabod, Ev, Michael, anyone else? Kirit, do you guys have anything else to add before we wrap it up? Hands up, Kirit, go for you. We'll go to you. Thank you. Okay, thanks for uh, thanks for letting me speak, and thank you for all this good knowledge good good definitely good space i just want to introduce the one of the minimalist photographer in down in listener his name is prakash i would love to if he's if you have a few minutes i would love to bring him up up in uh introduce to you guys um can they hit a request i don't know who you you were mentioning i'm sorry i didn't see their name his name is prakash uh okay got it got it i invited prakash to speak if he was able to that's great how do you how do you guys know each other through the space, but he's a good a minimalist uh, photographer I ever seen. So it, I know this is not right space, but uh, just wanted to say a shout out. Yeah, well, we can say a hi and quick, quick hello, but I think then we'll probably wrap it up because we've got lots of folks needing to get on to their next thing. But hi, Prakash, um, welcome, and you're a speaker now. Hey, hi guys. Um, hi. Uh... Sloika, uh, thank you, Kirit, for this, uh, and I know Suboda as well. <laughs> so um, I've been there in the crypto space in 2016, um, and I do minimalist photography since December of 2012, and that's the only thing I shoot. Uh, um, I've been away from the photography community for a while here, busy with crypto <laughs> movements, volatility and stuff, and uh, been doing some uh, NFT introduction spaces and crypto spaces for a while now, largely NFT within the uh, Indian NFT community, but uh, 
planning to get back and get in touch with all the photography uh, people here um, um i actually you know because when i was kind of uh, into the uh, you know nft scene i was very early like you know uh, i think uh, uh, tom akins was talking about crypto kitties and all that i was big into crypto kitties and all that so <laughs> um so um uh, earlier like I, you know i was on rareable and stuff like that and photography was, was like not at all trending and i was it took me quite a while to kind of figure out um, the nft platform and now like finally i think it's like a <laughs> you know um so so said okay the i think it's all converging uh, towards sloika um so let's go there and you know meet me, me, meet the people there and um, i see some momentum and traction towards sloika so they're like oh yeah it would be a good idea to kind of you know you know go there and interact with the photographers and i i love the discussion that was going on earlier about you know all that financial stuff and all that so i thought yeah so this is uh, this is exactly what i do you know so it's not just for the photography thing you know this knowledge about crypto markets and you know all that uh, you know we also had like you know uh, uh, 11 speak about uh, traditional art and all that stuff so um you know uh, the quality of the quality of the space is quite nice and I, I, it's a pleasure to be here and i don't want to take much time because i'm sure this is not the place to uh, do it uh, but thanks a lot uh, for this opportunity uh, slika Great to meet you. Yeah, thank you and thanks Kirit for the introduction. Um we will have some more spaces, you know, coming up in the in the new year where we'll be able to just kind of have more hanging out and and talking with everybody. So, we can uh, certainly get to know you a little bit better then. Um but yeah, it's I I had I pinned your pin tweet to the top of the space so people could uh, could find you and take a look at your work. So, thanks for that Kirit. Um Well, sounds like let's all go get some things done so we can come back and enjoy some music. <laughs> I hope that someone sends me that link uh, to to that space because I I would love to listen to that while I'm getting some work done. Um, thank you so much, TK, for joining us and being our special guest. Um, we are super. I, I I just love talking with collectors and and hearing where they're coming from. So this has been a, a pleasure. Pam, did he? Thanks so much, Pam. It was an honor. Did he stay on track the whole time? Did you? I I had to go. I had to take the dog out. You know how I have to take the dog out. But did you manage to keep him on topic for the whole that whole 100%, time? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Pam, was, I don't think there was any tracks. <laughs> I don't think there was any tracks. It's kind of like you know, if anyone's familiar with Mario Kart, there's a there's a track called Rainbow Road, and you can somewhat stay on there, but occasionally, like you do a jump and you just end up in deep space uh, and somehow land on the track again. I think that was that was generally how it went, but it was it was it was okay. Maybe maybe someone learned something, had a laugh. But what I learned is when TK sticks to the topic, Chip doesn't stick in the space. He runs away. <laughs> I, 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 He comes I, for the I think, fun part. I think it's credit to Pam really that she's uh, able to retain TK's concentration for more than seven minutes. That's that's two hours you've done that, Pam. That's incredible. Well done, you and TK. You must be exhausted. <laughs> I'm gonna go to take a nap. <laughs> Yeah, go go take it out. Get ready for the music space. Um no, I I uh, I I love having these kind of conversations and yeah, we'll we'll um I sure wish that we didn't lose the spaces last Friday because uh, the the two co-founders of Soika, Ev and Arsini, had a really great conversations that we were going to be sharing and hosting 
about artist royalties. And so I'm going to check in with those guys and see if we can do that again before the week is up. But um, we are also headed into the holidays. So we'll have to see if we can make that happen again. I know that, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad those bases are back. Um, but we, we're going to, uh, we're, we'll be back here. Actually, I wanted to let everyone know the last space that we're hosting like this of the sort of like regularly scheduled program for this year will be on Wednesday. And that will be with a photographer who's brand new to NFTs, but is a well-known commercial photographer, and he's just published a book called Gas and Glamour. Um, his first piece was picked up by Alpha Trilogy as soon as he launched a series, which is also called Gas and Glamour. And so we will be talking with Ashok Sinha here on Friday, I'm sorry, not Friday, Wednesday at uh, 12 noon Eastern. And um, that will be a great conversation. Um, just get, get ready for uh, going back in time he, Gas and Glamour is all about the Los Angeles architecture that popped up all around the 50s and 60s when car culture was was really the hot thing. So we have some drive-through donuts. We have some really fun, like Jetson-like sort of architecture that is all throughout the series. So we're going to talk with Ashok about that. And yeah, I will keep keep watching the the Soika feed for when that artist royalties space will come up. Uh, if you can, if we're, if we're going to do it this week, otherwise um, we will publish something else that will help make it easy to understand what's happening with artist royalties. Because as we've learned, <laughs> this space moves so fast. It's, it's good to help each other stay up to speed on all things that are important. So with that, um, TK Sabode, Ev, Chip, Michael, Kirit, Prakash, it's great to have you guys here. Um, we're going to wrap it up for now, but let's, uh, let's see if we find each other in the music space here in a little while. <laughs> All right. Um, bye for now.